Hi, I'm Britt Vasacek. I'm the host of Poly You Want a Podcast. I'm not a professional counselor, nor am I a professional polyamorous person. Poly Wanna Podcast is a collection of stories, opinions, and perspectives about the polyamorous lifestyle. The voices you hear, including the host, offer their subjective interpretations and don't intend to convince you or shame you. We're just letting you into our vulnerable and complicated little worlds. Brought to you by the Mockingbird Network. Um, I'm here with my guest today, uh, Mike Kaplan, a comedic entertainer. Uh, He's calling in from New York. Uh, Mike was a finalist on America's Got Talent. He was on Conan. He has a Netflix special, and he's coming to Houston November 6th to come and see us. Hi, Mike. Hello, Britt. How are you? Uh, I am very well, thank you. That's awesome. Uh, He was also ranked number one tweeter uh, by the host of Polywana Podcast, Britt Vasacek. That's me. Wow. Yeah, you're my favorite tweeter. That's very kind of you to say. <laughs> um, so first, I'd like to just, uh, how we met was um, you came to Houston and you spoke about um, polyamory in your set, and that's how I found out that you were polyamorous. And I was, I, the first question I really want to ask um, is how it affects your comedy. Do people ever talk to you afterward and ask you about polyamory? Uh, definitely. I would say, I mean... I, Two of my last three girlfriends uh, I met and started dating because they were fans of mine through my comedy. I guess one of them, I only realized, one of them was not specifically a poly or open person, but one of them, my most recent girlfriend, who I uh, just parted ways with in the past couple months, she loved, uh, you know, she loved everything that I said, including, especially, like, she had been in open relationships since she was in high school, so that particularly resonated with her. So I think I probably started talking about it. Like, I was married about 12 years ago, and that was monogamous for the most part. And then after that, uh, I realized that I that one lifelong relationship wasn't for me, uh, or just one lifelong relationship wasn't. And so I thought that maybe I would just be a serial monogamous, but then I mm-hmm. learned more from like listening to and reading Dan Savage and other related, uh, you know, open pro open relationship kind of sources. And uh, after that, uh, I was like, oh, maybe I could have if I want one lifelong relationship or more than one. But then that doesn't mean that I have to uh, have only that one. And so, yeah, I started talking about that in my comedy whenever that was, probably around, I don't know, 2010, 11. So since around then, I've been talking about it and happy to talk to people when they email me happily and resonantly or come to me after shows. Yeah, it definitely it happens once in a while that my comedy life and my personal life interact. <laughs> you sound like a commercial for coming up to comics after shows. It's true. Once in a while, you <laughs> get this thing to happen if you're me. Mm-hmm. And do you ever get anyone that's like mad or or disagreeing with you or trying to preach monogamy to you? Um, I, I'm sure that like I've I've done some like debate shows where that's like the idea where you know uh, mm-hmm. we're in a friendly way usually, uh, not arguing but you know discussing but. Uh, I guess I have not, mostly no, mostly uh, if people have disagreed, it hasn't been contentiously, people haven't, of all the things that I say, that's probably like the least of the things that people get really up in arms about uh, me me doing. That's funny, yeah. Um, Yeah, most of my experience, whenever I talk about polyamory on stage, which isn't often because I live in Texas, but when I do... Um, people are generally more like curious and, and asking questions because they're genuinely interested rather than angry. What do people get mad at you about after the show? That I would love to hear. That's a good comic question. Oh, I mean, it also is very rare. I do remember one time, I think years ago, when I was talking about gay marriage, somebody didn't like gay marriage, so they talked to me about that. Uh, another time... The, the album that I just recorded this year that is not out yet, but will be uh, in a few months, I believe and hope, um, that there's a, a chunk on there about pedophiles that isn't, uh, like, pro, like, hey, I hope that you be a pedophile, everybody. Oh, my but, gosh. 
<laughs> it does talk about the fact that, I mean, Dan Savage calls pedophiles who have never actually offended. He calls them gold star pedophiles, you know, people who are afflicted and wish they weren't, you know. Um, but, uh, and so the I have a chunk about sort of giving them credit because it's actually, I think, harder to live a life when the one thing that you want to do sexually is uh, not a legal thing that you're allowed to do um, and is not a moral thing that, you know, a person who wants to be a good person, uh, so to speak, quote-unquote, should do. Uh, and so there's definitely been people who don't love that contest, I mm-hmm. would say. Yeah, I can imagine how that would be a little polarizing. That sounds like fun. That sounds like a fun premise to explore. I feel like people don't talk about pedophilia enough just in in culture, like how widely accepted it is to like have Selena Gomez dress like a child and then tweet a bunch of half naked photos. Oh, yeah, it's uh, I mean, I understand that it's such a double edged sword because like I, you know, as far as I know, slash remember, I I'm fortunate that I was not. Uh, molested as a child, and I feel great, obviously, sympathy for people who have been, and I don't want to make people who have been, uh, you know, sort of traumatized. I don't want to add to their burden. So I I understand, like, you know, whenever I, if I'm talking about a sensitive topic like pedophilia or uh, sexual assault, like, I want to uh, make sure that I'm doing it in as kind and effective and efficient and reasonable enough way that I'm hopefully ending up, you know, doing hopefully more, at least not any, not adding to the, the troubles of the world or individuals and hopefully saying something that, I mean, I really do think that if people did talk more about, uh, you know, specific ways to effectively, you know, treat people who say uh, are pedophiles, then there would be less offending in the future. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I agree with that. Education is like the first step, you know, just not talking about it, I think leads to more. I do know a lot of victims of, of you know, sexual assault at a young age. Um, do you believe, I mean, there's a lot, I remember reading like a clickbait article about, and I don't know how we got so into pedophilia. I guess we don't talk about it enough. I'm like, I'm like so thirsty to have this conversation. Uh, it was a clickbait article about, um, how there's, uh, they're treating, um, pedophilia as an orientation rather than how they used to treat it as a mental illness. Um, and it like the idea of the article, it was like by this, like, you know, Baptist guy who was like the next things that's going to happen is they're going to let the kids marry the adults because they let the gays marry. Um, but what I took from the article was that it's really great that they found a way that to interact with, that particular situation that's going to be safer and healthier and, you know, hopefully manifest itself in less aggressive ways, you know? Yes. I mean, it won't change the fact that the law is you still can't have sex with a child and that a child of, you know, whatever age society deems can't give consent legally. The same way that when somebody is heterosexual, they can't just go around sleeping with every person of the gender that they're attracted to, they need to get a, uh, you know, consent. Yeah, an affidavit sworn, you know, notarized by a public... I'm kidding. That's not true. That is notarized (laughs) by a public... I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, So speaking of orientations, there's um, a, a little bit of divisiveness. I'm trying to get an informal survey. Do you believe that polyamory is a lifestyle or a sexual orientation? I mean, I'll say first that I don't think it matters what I believe, and I don't have strong opinions on it. Uh, <laughs> That's a good disclaimer. I, I will say some more things about it. That, that <laughs> given that I don't know what I'm talking about, and nothing to say matters, here's a bunch of stuff I'll say. Um, I would say, like, I definitely have read, you know, read things by and listened to people who talk about uh, how they definitely feel like uh, poly is an orientation and then other people who believe that for sure it's just a matter of like relationship structure and like there are people who are like well, even when I'm not in a relationship I am poly mm-hmm. and there are people who are like I'm in a poly relationship or now I'm you know I can definitely understand both arguments and uh, maybe I mean I, I'm glad that it, it kind of doesn't matter uh, that you know you can identify however you want 
the same way that you know you can you can be a person like there's a I think a woman who wrote a book uh, I think it's a book called Bad Dyke where she talks about uh, marrying a man despite him him being the only person that wasn't a woman that she ever was attracted to and she was only ever attracted so she identifies as a lesbian but she married a man. And the right people are like, you're not one. You're at least bi or pansexual or something. You can't say you're a lesbian, but you can definitely. I mean, there's you can say whatever you want. You can identify however you want. Everybody doesn't have to, you know, be your friend or agree. But as long as you're not hurting anybody, it kind of, it, which yeah, I think arguments can get, uh, you know, off into. I'm already probably far away from the question. But uh, for me personally... Um, I guess I know that structurally speaking, it does seem like the treatment of the queer community and the poly community are sort of moving like not chron- like chronologically parallel at, you know, sort of a couple decades apart, maybe where it used to be that you, you know, if you were, if you were gay or lesbian or any other queer identified kind of, uh, situation, you, wouldn't like tell everybody about it like there weren't as many out people decades ago uh and it was a much bigger deal because obviously people didn't know or understand and there was a lot of a lot lot more risk of violence and it's obviously not all gone everywhere um but now i don't even know i don't know if there's the same threat of violence but there's still potentially the same threat of like you could lose your job you know you'd be able to lose your job as a teacher if you were gay or maybe as anything and now Probably there are people who are poly who are living in the closet because where they live, they're not uh, protected from, you know, different sorts of, uh, you know, there's no anti-discrimination laws, I think, that uh, cover poly people. So it's sort of like maybe that will be a thing in the future as now people know more and more people who are in different kinds of open situations the same way that people got to know more and more gay people and finding out, oh, they're they're people. They're just like us. what they're doing doesn't actually impact me. I'm like, what will we tell the children? I'm like, well, the children are going to understand that people love each other. It doesn't matter if it's a man and a man, a woman and a woman, a person who's not a man or a woman or more than just two people. Like, there's no reason that that objectively should, as long as the people love each other, uh, will not be a, you know, be a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that is a big argument. And writing for the the Houston Polyamorous uh, website, we were researching a lot of that, like how you know you can lose your kids in a in a lawsuit in a custody suit if you're polyamorous, you can lose your job. Um, and I think it's so interesting to me when they say stuff like, "What will what will you tell the kids?" Like they'll be confused, they won't understand because literally everything a kid thinks, like we create their reality for them. We could tell them that everyone is a dinosaur on the inside, and they would just believe that for the re- like you know if everyone just pretended at the same time. Um, so I, I to me that's such a absurd argument. And when you hear it about LGBTQ communities, it's it's kind of gone away a little because we realize that. But then you can say the exact same thing about polyamory and they're like, oh, well, it, you know, it's sexual deviancy. There's too many people in the household and kids won't get it, you know? Yeah, I think having more people that love a child in the house uh, is better. And that also going back to, you know, the way things used to be a lot of times and places throughout history uh, you would have, like, multiple families living in the house or multiple generations. So, you know, you could have, like, you know, the grandparents, and then maybe they had, like, several children, so there could be aunts and uncles, and, like, people weren't like, oh, it's so confusing. What do I call this person? They're just like, oh, that's just, here's an adult that loves me. This one, you know, and even going back farther, obviously, to the way that, you know, if you read, like, Sex at Dawn, talking about how humans probably lived in, little, you know, communities of, who knows, 100 people, 150 people, uh, like bonobos did where, you know, all the child having and child rearing and sex having and friend making and village raising children, like all, everything was communal because everybody was just like, we are, we're all together in this. Like, and children weren't like, but there's so many uh, people that are older and bigger that tell me they love me. How can that be? Can't only two people love me, a man and a woman? What will I do with all of this love? Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see the the practical polyamorous applications of just like having enough people to where someone will pick your kid up from soccer practice. You know, like you never have to worry about that and you always have a life of your own and also someone's like taking care of your kid all the time, you know, with a polycule. So, yeah, I to get back to the specific question though, I think it's a really interesting question of like what what can be an orientation? Like I know I'm, I I don't identify as like I know there are some people who are like 
kinky as an orientation uh, or, you know, something along those lines. And I, I'll never tell, if somebody says to me that something is their orientation, I will accept it. Like, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not, I'm not a, you know, brain scientist. Uh, that's probably not what they call themselves. And, like, I like learning. I like, you know, being open to being like, oh, well, it, it, what is an orientation? I mean, it's sort of all, like, words. Words are constructs. Language are constructs. Like, it goes along with what you were saying about, you know, what we teach children. So if it, we thought an orientation had to just be what gender of person or... But then, you know, you have things like sapiosexuals where, like, oh, I'm attracted to intelligence and it doesn't matter what gender the person is or, you know, if we accept that pedophilia is an orientation, which, why not? It does seem to fit the idea. Like, uh, I guess... It does make sense if somebody said, well, the brain, here, we're looking at brain scans, and here's poly people, and here's monogamous people, and here's people who could go either way, or here's, you know, and all the different kinds of orientations. Maybe there's an answer that science can give in the future, but uh, for now, I am happy to just say whatever it is, it's cool with me. <laughs> I, you always end, end your answers as if, like, you're in an infomercial. It's really professional sounding. I like it. And side effects may include you enjoying what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, I'm interested when you were, generally I ask how polyamory came in, into my guest's life. And for you, it was mostly just that you had, had always engaged in open relationships, correct? Uh, not always. I, I will, if you want me to, answer the question quickly and more specifically. Uh, well, you know, you were you were a serial monogamous for a while. Um, what I'm particularly interested in is when you said that someone um, that you ended up dating came up to you and was not polyamorous and just interested, and then you ended up in a relationship with that person. Yes. Uh, so that the a girl that I dated a few years ago, um, she was the first person who I was in a fully open relationship with. I actually didn't really identify as quote unquote poly until. Really, this year, uh, I was in open relationships, but I made a distinction because it seemed like uh, poly meant more, like, willingness and desire for multiple, like, long-term, ongoing, loving, active, specific kinds of, you know, things that could be either primary relationships, secondary relationships, whereas uh, most of the open relationships that I've been in have been with, you know, one primary partner and then other things were sort of not even necessarily relationships. I mean, obviously, if I went, like, maybe I would have a friend in a certain town that whenever I went to that town, which I'd go to, like, once or twice a year, I would see that person. And you could argue that that is a, you know, a long-term relationship. So functionally speaking, what I was doing was a kind of poly. And again, it's sort of just words and terminology that, you know, you can apply however you like. Mm -hmm. Um but I didn't necessarily, I didn't specifically think of myself as poly until more recently when I'm like, that is something that is important and makes sense to me that I can, you know, have loving, caring feelings for more than one person at a time. And so I could have more than one, like long-term or, or short-term loving, caring relationship or some, like some relationships could be just sexual. Some relationships could be more emotional or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, the girl who who I dated a few years ago who wasn't specifically uh, looking for an open situation. Like She lived in Boston at the time, and I lived in New York. And so we started, uh, you know, sort of informally just hanging out whenever we were in the, the city, whenever, whenever we were in the same city. And so we didn't, like, form a specific relationship until she, I feel like maybe six months later, she moved to New York. She said that she wanted to be my girlfriend, and... I had just gotten out of, I'd been, the last several relationships I'd been in were moving towards uh, being fully open, but were not because uh, I wanted to be with the person and the person wasn't, they were maybe intellectually on board, but weren't uh, a full, you know, convert to the cause at the point. And neither was I specifically. I was like, well, I guess let's see what happens if we have a rule where it's okay if we go out drinking and hook up with somebody at a bar or... Uh, whatever whatever parameters there were, but there it wasn't like, yeah, you can sleep with whoever you want. But mm-hmm. at this point, I wanted to be in a situation where, for example, like it wasn't like I just wanted to sleep with everybody that I could, but I wanted a situation where if I wanted to be with somebody in a certain way, 
I didn't want it to be not okay for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, so those were like the guidelines that I put forth to this girl, like who, so we were in this long distance, you know, non-defined relationship. And then when we were in the same place and she wanted to be my girlfriend, I was like, I would love for you to be my girlfriend, to be your boyfriend, but I would, uh, love for this. I, I want this. I want to be in a fully open relationship as much as possible. And she was like, okay. I mean, so she sort of like, people would think like people had asked me at the time, uh, do you think she was just saying that to go along with it because she wanted to be with you and that, you know, she would say whatever. And we definitely had like extensive conversations about it. And she ultimately did end up, you know, hooking up with other people as well and enjoying the openness. And we had a situation where she wanted to know whenever anything happened. So that was our deal. Like whenever either of us did something, we would come home and then let the other one know and they could ask whatever questions they did or didn't want to. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it ended up being really nice, and uh, it like was very like loving and functional, and so I I liked it a lot. I forget what the question was. <laughs> That's so. In- so that was your first successful open relationship, and it started with someone who was monogamous, right? Yes. That's I like mean, a unicorn. We weren't monogamous. Yeah. Say again. That's like a unicorn. Like a lot of monopoly relationships end up, you know, crumbling. So it's really great that that was successful. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, re- the only reason we did stop being in a relationship is because we differed on when and how many children we wanted. She wanted more soon, and <laughs> I don't know that I want any at any point, but definitely didn't want several soon. But yeah, it was, it was, very, it was, it was, it was very unicorny, so I, I am very grateful that that situation did work out the way that it did. Um, because I know that there are probably people who, like, I was also, actually, my relationship right after that, even though that was my most successful, or my only successful open relationship at the time, the next person that I met that I ended up being in a long-term relationship with was somebody who, she not demand, but she was like, I'm a monogamous person, and I want our relationship to be monogamous if we have it. And I liked her so much that uh, I agreed to that, and even though she knew that I was, generally speaking, an open kind of guy and we did have a conversation at the beginning of our relationship that I remember as being something like well well let's be monogamous for a while and maybe after we've been together for a while like we'll consider some degree of opening up the relationship and I remember that being a discussion that we had that we agreed on but eventually uh, at the end of the relationship we determined that that wasn't going to happen so we parted ways yeah interesting yeah that's gen- that's generally how my monopoly relationships go they're like yeah, let's try it. And then, you know, they're just saying that or something. Uh, do you date Which, on... Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, is totally... I mean, I really... I don't regret that relationship. I loved that person. I I had a good time. And, I mean, you know, life is a thing that ends. So every relationship is a thing that will end. So judging a relationship by when it ends isn't necessarily, you know, the mark of success or failure. That's a very good way to look at it. What a positive thing to say. Happy because it happened. Yeah, I do what I can. <laughs> Side effects may include. Uh, do you date online at all? So you're single now, right? I am. Uh, yes, I'm essentially single now. And do you date online at all? Um, where do you meet your partners? At comedy shows exclusively? Um, I mean, it seems that way. I mean, <laughs> the, last girl I, the last girl that I dated for over two years... Uh, she was a fan who sent me an email, and then we met at a show uh, that she came to on purpose because it was my show. The girl that I mentioned before, uh, yes. The other, the the monogamous relationship in between. She was. I met her at a comedy related event. Um, mm. Yeah, I've, I've met a lot of people at shows. I mean, I'm at shows most nights, so most of my socializing is socializing. Hey. Um, uh, it's fun. I, I've never said it before. I was happy to come here and get to say it. Um, and I guess I, to answer your, your question specifically, I really have never dated online and not that I wouldn't, but I, I just, I do meet a lot of people over the course of life. Um, so if I got to a point where I wanted to date somebody or I wanted to, you know, just, I wanted to be dating, but I didn't have any specific prospects from my meeting in person life. I, I have nothing against online dating at all. 
I downloaded uh, two apps to do a podcast about social media dating once uh, just a couple weeks ago. Like a guy was, he talked me through using Tinder and Bumble. And so he helped me set up a profile and then like swiped through some people. And I was, it was to me a lot of work. Like it's funny because a lot of people, I think when they hear about uh, open relationships and stuff, uh, they're like, oh, wow, man, I, I wish I could do it. It just seems like, man, so much work. Like, have, one relationship is enough for it. I'm like, it is, it's all work. Like, it's work to be in one monogamous relationship for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. It's work to be in any number of relationships. It's work to keep friendships going. It's work to be in touch with your family. Like, like I mean, work is not a bad word. It's for things that you want to do. Like, I took a class in college about the moving image, an intro to, like, film study. And I, I left it after one day because they were like, you're going to really learn how to look at movies and never see them the same way again. And I was like, no, thank you. Like, I don't want to. I would like to uh, continue seeing enjoy. movies the way they are. <laughs> yeah, but with comedy, I do. Like, I do it and I love it. And with music, I do it and I love it. And I also, you know, spend time working on it because working on it is how I get better at it and how I learn more about you know, what else is happening outside of myself in the field and also how I can just, you know, find uh, new things of my own. I forgot the beginning of that sentence. But uh, essentially, I think that, uh, I mean, to me, online dating, the point is, is not the kind of work that I want to be doing right now or I think, quote unquote, need to do, particularly because I don't specifically also, this is the first time in my life that I'm, I'm calling myself purposefully single where it used to be that single would always be like a transitional stage to be like oh okay well I'm, I just got out of a relationship so that's the middle like now what's the next beginning or what's the end of singledom and who's next and so now the cheesy way to say it is I'm next like I'm legitimately not actively pursuing uh, you know I'm not going out of my way to like rack my brain like I might have at other single times in my life to be like who did I meet at a place? Like, where should I try to meet another person? Like, can this person be the next person? And like, I've been fortunate in the past, but right now I'm, and I feel fortunate now to be content where I am. And there are like, there's some people that I have, like, I haven't been celibate. Uh, I wasn't, you know, other than my girlfriend, like while I was dating my, my girlfriend that I was with for two years, like there were other people that I was seeing in various capacities and there are, still people that uh, I am seeing in various capacities. So uh, I'm happy to be single in this way. And if at another point, you know, a, a big, a bigger relationship makes, m makes itself manifest for more than one relationship, then I'll be glad and grateful for that as well. Was there a specific catalyst for this kind of purposefully single thing that you're that, like, are you doing the, cause you're obviously doing it on purpose, but there, is there a reason or is it just like time? Um, I mean, there's one specific, there's one specific factor that contributes. I mean, it's, I think it's a lot of things. Like there's always been people that when I've been single, they've been encouraging of me to remain single, you know, be like, Hey, you should be, be okay on your, on your own. You know, you're, you're good. Be okay just by yourself. And I've always been intellectually on board with that idea. I'm like, yes, of course, I know that I can be by myself. I know I, I do care about myself, and I'm happy to be, you know, I have things that I like doing on my own and being, you know, hanging out with friends that are platonic and not just trying to be in other relationships or, which was never, I was never just trying to be in a relationship for its own sake. I was, I would just meet people that were great and, like, want to, you know, sort of, suck dry the being with them good feeling energy you know like oh you're amazing we should uh we get along we resonate we why don't we hang out as much as possible um and when it's like a person that's worthwhile and that you you know get things from and give them and learn and go along well together like those were always things that came up and i'm certainly i'm i'm open to that happening now the one the one thing that specifically was sort of a catalyst is there was one person that I was, that I like met while I was dating my last girlfriend and who I like developed very strong feelings for. And we had uh, like sort of a, uh, a short relationship within 
the confines of uh, the time of my other relationship, that was like, it was all, uh, you know, permitted, but there wasn't, because the way that my girlfriend and I started that last relationship, we didn't, we weren't calling our relationship poly, we weren't talking about the idea of what happens if we fall in love with somebody else, what happens if we want to see somebody else and maybe have another relationship like that because the we had a don't ask don't tell essentially or if asked will tell Mm -hmm. so that made it more challenging at the time when I met this person because I felt like I was keeping something uh, even though I was you know we had a don't ask don't tell it was something that I was like this is an important thing going on in my emotional life I want to be able to share it I think I quote unquote should uh, like, I feel like the thing to do is share it with my partner. And, like, we had talked about, like, there being exceptions. Like, obviously, you can always bring up anything if it's important. And so I did, but that also just sort of challenged the the nature of our relationship and was one of the seeds that sort of led to our heading in different directions because we do both, my, my ex-girlfriend and I, we did both want open relationships, but we, it turned out, wanted different kinds of them, and that's one of the reasons that we parted ways. And so when we parted, part of me was like, oh, I wonder, you know, the, the other person lived in another town, um, but also might be moving to New York. So at the time I was like, oh, I wonder if when that person gets here, like, will we be able to pick up where we left off? Since that time, uh, I've had a conversation with that person and because of the, the way everything went down, uh, which wasn't, you know, it was a little bumpy, and, you know, everybody everybody wasn't happy the whole time. Like, every, we were all doing the best that we could. Um, but right now, she just has platonic feelings for me. So I'm like, well, uh, that's, that's reasonable. I'll be happy to be this person's friend. But for now, I have in my mind the idea of, like, if I'm going to be in, you know, a, a substantial relationship at some point in the future, it's not, it, it has, it's going to be, uh, it's not just going to be like the best person that I meet soon, you know? It's going to be because the person is exactly who I want and need and vice versa. So I am like, I've been meditating more also. I've been, I mean, more than zero. I just started like maybe a month or two ago with this app Headspace. And I've been reading and listening to Ram Dass, who talks a lot about, you know, finding your deeper self and, uh, like noticing where you are and sort of observing as this outer witness. And I'm doing a, a very poor job of, you know, like ramshackle throwing together all these things that I have been spending like a fair amount of time uh, engaging with. Uh, I've also been doing ayahuasca ceremonies for the past two years. And so all of these things are like sort of contributing to the idea of number one, you know, being like figuring out who I am and where I am and what I want and being okay with, like on the the very most basic level, like who I am and where I am and not necessarily needing external things, being okay. Like if I never have another relationship, that will be okay. If I never achieve anything more in comedy, that will be okay. If I, you know, find out that I'm sick and dying and will die tomorrow or in a year or in however much time, like that'll be okay. Like just being okay with whatever and being in the moment and engaging with whatever is happening you know, with whomever uh, is there and or whoever I'm choosing to engage with. Uh, like, that's that's what's happening. So, uh, I don't know. It's not just any one specific thing, but uh, that's a, a thousand things to answer your question. <laughs> I have got to know what an ayahuasca ceremony is. Oh, ayahuasca is a plant from South America slash the universe that... <laughs> uh, some might the active ingredient is DMT, and oh. some might say that that is the world's most powerful hallucinogen. That they've been using uh, those plants, uh, you know, in sort of medicinal, meditative ceremonies in South America for thousands of years, and it's become more popular these days. Like there was an article in the New Yorker about it recently, calling it, I think, the hallucinogen for the age of kale, in a kind of <laughs> snarky way, but. Just the same way that kale is good for you, no matter how many douchey, trendy people are eating it. Uh, ayahuasca is a, I mean, it's very difficult to describe in any limited amount of time. Uh, it's just a very powerful, work-like 
you know, non-recreational but beautiful experience. That sounds like a lot of fun. And it's like opening your mind romantically or I guess, you know, like I'm, more self-sufficiently. I mean, it, it helps you. Like, it's been said that it's like it acts as a GPS for where you are and, you know, sort of you sometimes people will go into it with questions and intentions, but sometimes the answers that you get are not to the questions that you ask, but they're the ones that you need, maybe, they say. And, yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a kind of, it's just a, it's like meditation, but mm-hmm. it's sort of a supercharged, uh, sometimes hallucinogenic, uh, dimensional traveling kind of, you know, very deep self-meeting uh, meditation. That sounds fascinating. That's really cool. I'm going to have to try that. No, that's really good that you're, you know, focusing on yourself. And I think it's hard when you're polyamorous to, when you're doing so much time management to like take, take time to just say like, I don't want to just contribute to my other relationships. I also need to contribute to relationships with myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's really Oh cool. yeah. I, over the summer, it was the, like the last two months of my relationship with my girlfriend. Uh, we were separated geographically. And that was when we also first started separating, or at least, you know, becoming aware that we were, there was a, an emotional divide that was forming or that was present and was being now, you know, manifested. And so it used to be that I was always the person that would, like, travel. Like, when we lived, we lived together in New York, and sometimes I would go away to do comedy for a weekend or a week or whatever, and she would be at home. And so she would be in our home alone, and I would be away. And that would, you know, that was like to me my normal life. And now this was, she was away for the summer, and I was at home alone for a good chunk of the summer. And not only alone, like physically, geographically, but like we were sort of, you know, we hadn't broken up, but there was definitely, it's, it seemed like it was, something was different, mm-hmm. and we were not connected the same way that we had been. And so that was a time when I, I was like, oh, well, this is, I'm, I'm alone here. I, and it was, it was sad for me. It was difficult at times. And I, I am now, you know, sort of on the other side of that because now I am, I am single and living alone in that, in the same place where we did live together, where I was said to be alone over the summer. But that's sort of, you know, that was an experience that I, after processing, I was like, well, I, during that experience, I was like, well, I either we're going to get through this and it'll be back to or forward to a better normal together when she gets home or we will break up and I'll have had a lot of practice being alone in this place. And that's what it ended up being. So I now a joke that I'll tell a little bit sometimes now, if I, if I'm in the mood is that being single the way I am now, like it used to be that when I would go out to a show, maybe I'd be excited about the prospect of going home with somebody. And I'd be like disappointed if I didn't, but now uh, and I'd be excited to get to go home with them. But now I'm also excited to just get to go home, to my home, be <laughs> on my own and do my own things. I'm like, that's what I want, any of the things. I'm happy to have, you know, a connection with a person. And I'm also happy to just be myself. I think that's a common misconception that maybe monogamous people have have expressed to me, and I don't know if they all have, um, that being polyamorous is kind of like this way to, to never be alone and to kind of cope with loneliness um, and just like forego any amount of like self-care you might have. And I think, you know, any amount of, of ignoring yourself can be toxic and that can happen in monogamous relationships as well when you kind of invest all your time. Um, but when you're in a, an open relationship, do you find that you don't ever have time to yourself? I mean, like with traveling and you write and you do music, like do you feel like you don't get enough time when you're in a relationship? Uh, I think that my the structure of my lifestyle, which does include travel, often like contributes to my definitely getting enough time alone. Uh, because you know sometimes it's sort of like every time I go away, it's in some ways like a mini vacation where if my girlfriend didn't come with me, I will have time like in the hotel alone, or I can go to a coffee shop, or I can write or make music or do whatever I want. Like maybe there'll be people in the town that I want to hang out with, or maybe there won't, but depending how long I am somewhere, I, I've always, it's just, you know, I don't know people everywhere, so I almost always, when I travel, get some time alone. And then also, like, because it's like a vacation, it's also like, like nice to come home 
And then home is like, you know, also a vacation from that being alone. And then I would be like, oh, hey, you know, girlfriend, it's, I haven't seen you. And it's, it's nice. And when I'm home long enough, when I'm home for like longer stretches, then obviously even when I'm in a relationship, it is important for, you know, both of us to have our own time and space and do our own thing. So I've been, at least recently, uh, more uh, good about, uh, not, you know, I mean, I guess, I used to be the kind of person who would, when I was in a relationship, uh, I, most of my relationships were like a year. You know, I had three big relationships that were like, you know, longer, which were like maybe a little over two years to, you know, maybe three and a half years. But all the other relationships were like about a year. So they were sort of still, they were all in like the beginning phase of what could be a potential long-term relationship. So in those, maybe I wouldn't focus on spending as much time alone myself because I was excited to be in the new relationship with the chemistry happening in the brain and like the new relationship energy and, you know, getting to know the person and doing exciting things and being a new relationship. And like, I mean, I don't think there's anything specifically quote unquote wrong with that, but Mm -hmm. definitely as things get longer and longer term, um, it makes sense. Yeah. I hear a cat. I, uh, I'm sorry Uh, about that. Oh, oh, no man. problem at all. I like hearing cats. Yeah, but, me too. Uh, I just wanted to be honest about my experience that <laughs> I would have been uh, slightly distracted in the middle of my sentence. The point being, <laughs> in a long-term relationship, I think it's, it's super important to me to, uh, and, it, and it's structurally, uh, just it ends up happening that I will take time to watch my own shows, to read my own books, to write my own stuff to walk on my own to you know have my own mental and emotional space Mm -hmm. do you tell me about your music i don't know a lot about your music uh well i started being my parents were both music teachers so as a child i was made to play the violin i didn't like it but Mm -hmm. i had to do it so music was forced into me as a language from a very young age and then I went to classes and orchestras and learned theory and had so many lessons and played in quartets and groups until high school uh, when it was sort of like, you know, at, at the end of high school, I was, it was on my own. And in high school, I started teaching myself guitar, which I loved and I didn't have to do it. So that's probably why I loved it. But the mechanism and everything that was set up with the violin that I hated uh, at the time huh. really laid the foundation for me to... Uh, be able to uh, love music, which I, you know, I started writing songs when I was like 15, 16. And that became my first goal, like uh, to be a singer songwriter, my first like dream career. And I, I started at the end of undergrad college life, uh, trying to go out to the Boston area where I lived and performing songs. And one of the places that I found to perform songs, some of which were funny, was a place called the Comedy Studio. So I just went there once in a while and just played my songs and uh eventually i learned that i like talking in between the songs as much at least or more as playing the songs and then i didn't have to bring a guitar around so that's why i got into comedy through interesting uh, through music yeah i had no idea that's awesome oh yeah i also i mean so i i got into comedy and then my comedy eventually just became talking and not playing music but uh, a buddy of mine named Micah Sherman, uh, we met in Boston like 2005, 2006, and he asked, he knew that I was a musician and he was one, and he asked if I wanted to write funny songs with him just for fun, and we did that. And we, we put out a comedy music CD a few years back and then a mixtape a couple years later that, you know, it's not something, we'd be happy to do it for a living if that's what people wanted us to do, but he has his own acting, improv, sketch, writing uh, comedy career and I have my own stand up and everything I'm doing but we love still getting together and like playing music, improvising music, writing songs and in conclusion to the question that you asked about what my music is like uh, this is actually this year I did a Kickstarter to raise money to record uh, not comedy songs that I've been writing for the past several years or for the past many years but I, my the girlfriend that I was dating that I just broke up with, uh, she was a musician as well. So that sort of like relit, uh, my fire to write as write and perform and record as much music as I used to. 
in addition to the comedy that I was doing. So I wrote a, I wrote a lot of songs like about her, for her, to her, and then also just other songs in the past couple of years that I was like, it would be fun to release these. So I did a Kickstarter and raised the money, and I'm I've done I'm pretty much done recording the songs and just were in the production phase. And there will be a new album of not specifically funny songs, but some of them might be uh, sometime, hopefully by the end of the year. That's awesome. That's super interesting. I'm really excited. Thank you. That's really cool. I think cool. it'll be called Not an Album Full of Funny Songs. Oh, yeah. No, it rolls right off the tongue. That's great. You know, it might just be called Music also. <laughs> music also, Mike Kaplan. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't think about the also, but uh, that would be good. Maybe it'll be called Music also. No, you got to get a good viral, catchy something with a comma in it. Um, so You're that right. people will I- keep coming back for more very happy that we're having this conversation (laughs) yeah you can just pay me for for consulting after the show we don't have to worry about it right now you quote unquote got it (laughs) um so back to to polyamory i guess that's what the podcast is about um how has um polyamory changed the way that you see the rest of the world especially because i'm married as well i'm not married anymore but i have an ex-husband who i was monogamous with uh and it there was a lot of transitioning from that and a lot of experiences I had in marriage. Um, and polyamory was kind of like a, like, you know, an angel falling from the sky, like, Hey, this is a thing you can do. Um, did it change anything for you coming from marriage or coming from serial monogamy that's outside of your romantic relationships, like professionally or emotionally? Uh, great question. First, before I answer, I will, you know, just to, to do you uh, a generosity, I'll tie in, music and comedy into our discussion of polyamory so that it doesn't seem like we got off topic at all. <laughs> That's Sometimes, so sweet of you. I really appreciate oh, that. Yeah. I do it. I, I'm a caring person. Um, and I, I like saying this thing, which is uh, that I, you know, I started pursuing music as a career, but I then ended up, you know, finding myself uh, kind of in bed with comedy. And so then I'm, I now sort of see myself as like married to comedy, but it's an open marriage and I'm allowed to see music on the side and sometimes love threesomes. That is so romantic. Um, but yeah, so I think that, I mean, every experience that I have to answer your question, like sort of adds to the richness of, you know, my experience as a living human in this universe or part of this universe. And uh, I mean, one thing that, being aware of open relationships and polyamorous lifestyles and, you know, just this whole thing uh, contributes to is uh, seeing, like, rom-coms as pretty silly for the most part. Yeah. Like, oh, no, you have to pick between two people? It's always, like, yelling at the screen, like, you don't. They're, they're both good. Like, <laughs> both, both, <laughs> all of them. Just go, go for it. You can have everything. Um, and so I do think that that could sort of uh, seep over, bleed over. I don't know what the, what's a less gross word to use. Like sort of sludge. Be also, what's that? Sludge. Hemorrhage? It sludges oh, all okay. over. Perfect, perfect. Like in other sort of aspects of life where you can't, like, you know, you grow up thinking that there are rules. You're told that there are rules by your parents. You're told by society, by TV, by religion, by whatever, you know you're not even necessarily explicitly told them all, but you're like, well, this is what people do. And so you have an idea of what people do. And then you learn that, oh, you don't have to do those things. Even if you're the only person that wouldn't be doing those things, you don't have to do those things. Like, you don't have to have kids. You don't have to get married. You don't have to marry just one person. You don't have to marry the person, a person of the gender that you're, quote, unquote, expected to. Like, all of these different ways of living are now becoming, you know, thanks to, thanks to obviously, like, the, the Internet is making it, known that, oh, you're probably not the only one who likes the thing that you like, whether it's a kink or uh, a different lifestyle or an orientation. Like, you know, there's people out there who are asexual who probably have felt alone in our super sexualized society until much more recently when, like, asexuality, the asexuality spectrum is something that is now, you know, talked about more than it ever was a decade or more ago. And so I feel like uh, just knowing, like, knowing you can, if you have desires, you can uh, act on them. You can let people know who you are and what you want and how you want to live. And 
obviously everybody doesn't get everything they want throughout their whole life, but we do get to determine what's important to us, whether it's in a relationship, in a job. Like, you know, some people go to a job that they hate all their adulthood because they're afraid, like, of what what would be if they didn't. Some people are in a marriage for the same reason. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that has contributed to the broadening of my, uh, just all of my perspectives. So thanks, polyamory. <laughs> open letter to polyamory. Thanks. An open letter. Hey. Hey, oh. <laughs> Get it? Because it's open. You got it. You guys know. Okay. Uh, well, we're going to wrap up now. Um, I'm really excited to see you November 5th in Houston. I am also excited to, I'm so on November stoked. 6th, be in Houston with the Secret Warehouse people, wherever <laughs> that is. It's a secret. It's called, it's called the Secret Group, but whenever I tell someone that, they're like, oh, I, what is the group that's so secret? And now, you know, it's a cute little thing that you got to do in order to go to the venue is pretend that it's not a secret. Oh, would, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and my apologies for saying warehouse. I was just trying to keep the secret group name a secret. <laughs> it is in a warehouse. I'm sure the people in Houston that drive by it know, like, knew exactly what you meant by that. Perfect. Thank you. Sorry, Houston warehouse people. <laughs> and um, he has a Netflix um, special, which I highly recommend. You're hilarious. You're such a great comic, Mike. I hope you know. I appreciate your saying that. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I'm always happy to be getting better and growing and learning and having more people see what I do and enjoy it. So I'm looking forward to coming back to Houston. My last time there was wonderful. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Um, and if um, you want to go fi- follow, uh, what's your Twitter, Mike? Mike Kaplan? Yeah, it's, it's MYQ Kaplan all over the internet. Okay, cool. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining me and I will see you in November. Thank you. Uh-huh, bye-bye. Okay, bye. I'm Britt Vasacek with Polywanna Podcast. Are you interested in polyamory? Do you even know what polyamory is? You can tune in to Polywanna Podcast. We interview comedians, counselors, and regular people to get a peek inside of the world of open relationships and ethical non-monogamy. I'm really fascinated by the conversations that I have with these people, and I'm really excited to share those conversations with you. You can find Polywanna Podcast at fullofbrit.com or at the Mockingbird Network. Mockingbird Network.